Welcome, everybody, to the show. This is the Mind Body Story Podcast. I am your host, Eric Beach, and this is episode number six. And today we're going to be talking about how our mind writes our story. I mean, the whole basis of this podcast is that we own our mind and our body and our story and how we use our minds and how we use our bodies writes our story. And we want to write the best life story possible, right? So what we're going to get into today is as piggybacking off of the last conversation we had about how our body writes a story, we're going to talk about what things uh, we are putting into our mind, what things we are, um, how we're using our mind to write that story because we're always writing a story, right? Uh, And I had said earlier that if you look at this, that the body writes our story as kind of the physical uh, portion of it. It's, it's like the pen moving on paper, uh, and the mind is kind of that thing that is telling the pen what to do, how to move, what letters to write, what keys uh, to type with our fingers. Uh, so that's the, that's the connection between the mind and the body. The body's actually doing things. It's moving through space, where our mind is kind of dictating, or it can dictate what we're doing, how we're moving our bodies, what we're believing is the big key. And that's what we want to talk about today is how we're using what we're believing, what we're putting into our minds to write that story and how it is currently. Without our knowledge, we are all writing a story right now. And our mind is that force that writes it, that moves our body through space, that makes decisions and tells us what we believe about ourselves. So we can challenge these things. And that's going to be a lot of what we talk about in the episodes to come is, is how people are challenging those core beliefs, uh, how we're overcoming the victim mindset, because a lot of these things are limiting us. They are um, key decisions that we've made uh, to, to, to create a worldview that everything has to fit into this worldview, that we're not allowed to question things. And our minds can be very shut. But if we can learn how to open them, we can start to challenge a lot of these core beliefs and really make some changes and really bring our authentic self to the forefront and operate from the seat of consciousness as our self. So I can be Eric Beach. I don't have to be the, the veteran, the warrior. You know, I didn't have to go to special forces. The, the fact that I didn't doesn't define who I am and what my story is. It just writes a different one. And if, if I'm an athlete, you know, triathlon is a big part of my life. And that's, that was, and I talked about before is using fitness has been a wonderful way for me to take control because my mind was writing a story that I did not like. It was not an empowering story. So I used physical activity to take control and take my mind out of that equation in a way uh, to open up uh, some different neural pathways to open up some, some healthy natural occurring chemicals like serotonin, endorphins, uh, dopamine, all these different neurotransmitters to give me some objectivity so I could be s- stop being so negative. And that was me physically moving my body to saying, hey, mind, you're not writing a great story. My body is going to take over and give you a little help. So I was an athlete. I am an athlete. But if we train our body, we fuel it you know, with the right nutrition, we're going to be writing a healthier story with our bodies by, by what we're ingesting. And if that's our primary focus, we're writing a story of athletic achievement, of endeavor, of podium positions, of PRs, personal bests, all these records. And that's great for a time. It could be great for our whole lives, but if that's where we stay as an athlete, we're only doing things that bring us accolades, that are self-gratifying. And sometimes that's a very basic way to navigate this world without going deeper, Because the depth of what's underneath that, like we can fill up our whole day with just training. Everything can revolve around nutrition planning, around getting our workouts in. Triathlon's great for it because if you're training for a 140.6 mile race like an Ironman, that can rule your entire life. And as long as you keep moving and fighting forward, it can look 
admirable, but you're never allowing yourself time to sit and be still to allow the exiled voices and and those things that are bubbling that are just desperate for you to reintegrate so you can be your authentic self. It never lets them come to the surface. You know, I look at it like as uh, essentially a functional alcoholic, like somebody who you, you have two alcoholics. One of them is abusive. The other one is hilarious when they drink. And so they find this dynamic that if I drink, people like me more because I'm so funny. And as a friend, you're looking at that person saying, well, I enjoy, I enjoy Eric when he's drinking because he's so funny. You know, that's, so you don't want to correct them, even though it's a very unhealthy behavior. You look at an elite athlete that uses training as the same way and is using their body the same way or a, a, a CEO of a company that's done this great stuff, but they've masked all of the past and have created this persona. And that can look healthy. It can be like the functional alcoholic. They look great in the world's eyes, but really there's hurt behind that. And I, I get a little sad for them because the way to be really free in this life is to allow our minds to kind of enter that equation, to slow down and understand where these hurts are coming from. And so if you stay an athlete and that's all you are, that can be a great way to literally, to literally run away from something, to literally run away from your past. But what we need to do, and if we can shift the perspective, and we'll talk about how some of the ways that I've done it and other people have done it in the duration of this podcast, is how do we shift that to say, I'm no longer running away from things. I'm running towards them. I'm charging towards it. Like I, I used to say that I would run away from post-traumatic stress. Like that was, you know, something that I would do is, is I would self-medicate. I would do things so that I never had to deal with my post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's not a healthy way to do it. That's running away from the problems. But when I shifted uh, my perspective to no longer am I running away, I'm running towards my problem. I'm running towards post-traumatic stress, my PTS, because the only way I'm going to ever grow and be happy in this life is if I run towards my problems. And that was empowering. And I used physical activity to do that. And I started to use my mind after that to ingest things that were going to help me become empowered and to better understand myself, to better understand the things that I was doing to compensate for the problems that I had. And so I stopped being just an athlete as the years progressed. I started becoming a servant leader. I started doing things using physical fitness to help my mind write a better story, to help my mind be more open to the mentorship of people who had been there and done that and had seen something that was working for them. And I could be open to that and start to learn and grow. And I still was an athlete. But then I ascended into this servant leader, this statesman mentality of the, the growth and contribution, not just physical achievement. And so, you know, and, and with, with a mentor, you know, you take the athlete lifestyle. Athletes have a coach that's training them, right? And so we have the same thing with our own mental state. Like the, there's just so many parallels and it's the balance between the mind and the body that really writes the best story possible. So breaking it down into the body and now into the mind, I'm going to then tie this all in to understand that there's a balance between the two. And for a long time, I didn't understand that. And that's what this year specifically has been for me, is really saying now this is the year that I understand and learn how to balance both. And we'll get into that into another another episode. But right now, we, we, we grow from the body. We were training. We're, we're growing. But we had this coach that was helping us. Or if we're lucky enough, we did. And I, I was lucky enough to have um, Eric Hill as my coach. You know, he was an elite athlete, is an elite athlete, I should say. And that's how we started my nonprofit with him, Project Echelon. Because it was literally me opening up to a civilian who was an elite cyclist, an elite runner, 
saying, I want to do triathlon. How do I do it? What kind of bike do I get? Uh, how do I, you know, how do I train heart rate training? All these things that I had no clue. I had someone who did know who had achieved something and he could then sit down and say, yeah, I would love to give back. And that's what we did is my coach became a guiding force, a mentor in this arena. And we, we have lots of arenas, you know, we have the physical, we have the mental, you know, through therapy and these experiential programs like Save a Warrior, the Sable Veteran, uh, all these different ones that are helping um, our veterans, you know, connect with the veterans that have the same struggles and trials that they're going through. And they can do that work together because they trust each other and trust is a vital piece of this puzzle. So you have a coach, you have a mentor that you're willing to open to that can then train you, but it's your choice. It's your mind that had to make that decision to open up to these people and to give them that way in. And you also have the right, and we'll talk about this at another time, you have the right to pull that privilege from them because people can abuse, but you have to be understanding in the process of, I can open to you. You have proven yourself to be safe and have my best interests at heart. And that's a process because a lot of times we don't have that ability to trust. That's maybe the source of our wound is our inability to trust. And when that's present, that's your mind trying to shut down your openness to a worldview because your worldview says, I am safe when I'm quiet. I am safe when I don't trust, when I don't let anyone into that part of my life. I am safe when I don't have relationship because we fear we're going to be hurt. And it's been proven in our past, in our childhood, you know, that this is the way. But when those strong emotions are present, when any strong emotion is present, that is an exiled voice that is a guiding um, beacon to where we need to go. Like the thing that we avoid the most is often where we need to mentally or physically go to grow. And that's really uncomfortable. But growth is discomfort. There's just no way around it, whether it's mental or physical. To grow, you have to get uncomfortable. But with a coach, with a mentor, they can help you navigate that so you can ask questions because you've never done this before. I've never, I never ran a triathlon before. I never even knew what to look for in a bike. So I had to open up to someone else's wisdom and, and, and expertise to actually do anything to make my journey start to progress forward. And learning is a big part of how our mind writes our story. What are we learning? Uh, to, to get into athletics, you're learning physiology. You're understanding body mechanics, how our bodies move. That's intellectual. That's mind. And I'm investing in that to learn so I can perform physically better, to learn nutrition, to understand how to fuel performance, to understand how we can muddy up the engine and disallow our bodies to perform at a peak level. And if we feel better, if we understand the nutritional value of putting something in our body, why we're doing it, we actually can live and write a better story, just a healthier, happier story. Because when you're able to do, when your body's fueled, when you're able to go places, it brings in happiness and your story can be an adventurer. You know, I was shut off to the whole world and now I'm trying to take these adventures. I'm trying to go places. I'm, I'm taking risks because my mind was open. I let my mind write a better story and I, I had to address the fact that I was writing the story of a victim because everything that went into my mind, I would filter through how can this not be my fault? How can this be blamed on somebody else? And that is almost never the case. There are things that happen to us that are not our fault, but no matter what the conflict is, if we take the perspective mentally that I'm going to own my ruck, I'm going to own what's mine to own. And I'm not going to take anything else beyond that because I can't change anybody. And our story should never be one that went and changed people. 
we can't change our spouse. We can't change our friends. We can change us. We can find out the things that we did to, to, to contribute to the fight, to contribute to the conflict. And we can understand why. And when we ask those questions, that's a mental conversation that is leading to empowerment. Because my growth, if I bring that to the table, I'm going to have better relationships. My, my family is going to respond. My wife, you know, your husband, wh- whoever it is, are going to respond to that. And if they don't, that's their ruck. But so often when we change, it's uncomfortable for the other person. And our wound was, I have to be appeasing to somebody else. And so as soon as I grow and I'm happy and my, my significant other doesn't mesh with that and they, they don't want to trust it, they don't want to believe that you're a different person or they're codependent and they don't want you to change because you in your sickness or your wounds actually complete their wound as well because they need to blame somebody else or they need to be a caregiver or, or whatever it is that can break their worldview. And then you're forcing them to have to look into their own minds and say, why, am, why do I need my spouse to be depressed? Why do I need them to suffer? Why do I need to be able to have someone in my life that is hurting me so I can go out and complain to my friends about it and feel that significance with them? That's their ruck to own. But you can't let that be a burden upon yourself that you carry that ruck because you can't change them. You can love them by extending yourself mentally to say, I want to, I want to support you. And, you know, for me and my wife, what I had done was when I got to a certain place mentally that I was feeling better, I actually let her go and not let her, like I wasn't keeping her on a leash or something, but I was like encouraging her, you know, go, go see a therapist, you know, go, cause you've dealt with me for many years and now it's your time to unpackage all of that so you can grow. Cause we both need to grow for this thing to work. It can't be just one partner. You know, there was this talk about unequally yoked, and I believe unequally yoked means if one spouse is willing to do the work to grow and heal and understand what's theirs to own and own their own ruck, and the other spouse will not, that's unequally yoked. It's not going to work. Both partners have to be willing to commit to that journey, and it's a hard one. But you can't blame yourself if the other person is not willing to take that journey, is not willing to take their own ruck. And, and, and with this, too, you, you have this community environment. Like, we're not even necessarily influenced completely by in-person interactions anymore. And we have social media who can easily, all you have to do is follow and unfollow people based on what you want your news media to come in. You can unfollow anyone who is super positive all the time. And you can say, hey, you know, I don't like it when people do all these motivational posts. It's it, it's annoying. But really, is that is that the problem? If you have a strong emotional response about someone who's super positive, Why? Because then all of a sudden you're following everyone who shares a, a view that's very disempowering and, and, and you can commiserate with them. It's not a community that's growing. It's, it's keeping you stuck. You know, commiserating is just looking at people who have stuff in their lives that's horrible that matches the stuff in your life that's horrible and we get to complain together and we, nobody grows because you, you, you validate my position and, and that we are all victims in this together, but we're together. You find community in that. Why does it make you feel so so strongly just seeing something on social media? Why does it make you feel so offended? Uh, because offense is beautiful. 
I love it when I get offended because when I'm offended, I know that somebody is forcing my brain to look down at my map of my worldview and it's being challenged and threatened. Now, that doesn't mean I have to change, but it does mean that there's something there for me to understand. If, for instance, you know, I was upset about uh, women becoming rangers or going through ranger school. Why did that bother me so much? Why was that such a passionate response? And the answer was, after I looked through it, was it wasn't whether or not women should or shouldn't be allowed in, in combat specialties. It was because my masculinity was in question, because I didn't go to ranger school. If a woman did something that I wanted to do very badly but never did, because I thought that would mean that I was a man if I became a ranger, and then they did it, what did that mean about my whole paradigm of what a, mas- what a man was? It shattered it. And so I got very, very scared, very angry because under anger is fear a lot of times is something's been threatened. So I had to look at that and understand that strong emotional response was a secret messenger. That's how I use my mind and physical, you know, moving, moving my body helped me do that because it's hard. It's really hard to allow yourself to open like that. But if we have the natural occurring chemicals like dopamine and serotonin and these things by just doing good things, moving our bodies, it's a lot easier to ask those hard questions of ourselves. Why does this bother me so much? If something bothers you, there's always a message underneath it. Because when we're balanced and centered on, and we've, we've really self-actualized, we're, we're close to the authentic self, these conflicts stop being so intense, they become like a dog turning their head going, hmm, well, that's interesting, instead of, Oh, hell no. I've got, you're done. I'm unfollowing you. You can't. Don't even bring that to me. I'm so offended. You know, it's not a fight. It's a curiosity. And then you learn more. But that's the nature of being balanced. So that's where we want to get. And social media has done a great job of allowing us to not even meet people and still get offended without understanding that that is a great teacher. That's a great teaching moment for any of us. We can also find music and other content to reinforce our mental state. Uh, you know, I can listen to sad music and increase my sadness, and that can be a great tool. And I'm not—I'm definitely not saying it to say that don't ever listen to sad music uh, because it exists for a reason. Art is a beautiful um, conduit for us to feel and go to a place emotionally, and it can also be very damaging. Uh, it can also keep us stuck. In high school, you know, I had a lot of depression, and every night I listened to the same album to put myself to sleep, and it was an album by Stained, the band Stained, called Dysfunction. And I still love that album today. It's wonderful. But when I was using it, I was trying to, I was mentally just envisioning myself in this really depressed state. And guess what happened? I was depressed the next day. And if I was sad, I would listen to music. You know, a breakup happens and there would be certain songs that I would go to because it allowed me to really go to that sad place. And so it kept me stuck. But we can use those, those, those genres and those songs to really evoke a lot of um, healthy grieving process. There was this um, episode of America's Got Talent. It was the first one, and, and I was uh, watching it. And there was this We Three, I think was the band, We Three. And it was a you know, sibling band. And they wrote this song about their mother dying from cancer uh, a few years before. And it was from her perspective of dying and you know saying hey i'm, I'm in a hurry i've gotta i've gotta go um, but here's a message for you and i wept like it was so healthy for me because i lost my dad five years ago and it was a really beautiful way for me to connect emotionally to that reality but it can also be something that with a different mental perspective can be there to just keep us stuck and not moving forward it can be catharsis or it can be condemning of our own mental state 
So you have to be careful with what you're putting into your mind and why. What is it doing for you? Is it helping you connect with an emotion that you need to? I, you know, I loved metal music. I still do. Uh, you know, hard rock and that kind of stuff. And when I'm on a workout and that song comes on uh, or on a run, there are certain songs that will come on, even hip hop, that make me just want to go fast and want to go hard. And so those are beneficial, but they have to have their moments because if you're just always going hard, you know, you're going to hurt yourself in this in this training uh, capacity. And so we have genres that can help us and we should go to them to evoke those emotions because it's in a lot of cases, there's a lot of guys out there. I'm sure there's a lot of women too that have a hard time going to those places. They don't want to. It's scary. But when we go look at a movie, when we go and listen to a song and let ourselves feel it, it can allow us. It can be the bridge that gets us to that place where we can start to emotionally peel back those, you know, onion layers or whatever you want to call them. Get through those concentric circles and get to some real uh, great growth moments. But it's not something that we should all do alone. There's elements of it that are alone. But I've always had this perspective that when I would go to my journal, you know, I was in therapy once a week. Then it was twice a week. Then it was once a month. And I would bring these to my therapist and we would talk through them. And he would help me, you know, navigate what was there for me and if I was on the right track. And that was hugely beneficial. So it can be a friend, too. Like I went through different programs and Save a Warrior for, for one and left with, you know, a bunch of good friends. And I still talk to them and process things. And then I'm also allowed through that to help them because then mentally I'm, I'm extending and learning how to be open and hear people because that's a key is learning how to hear people. But we have to be mentally open to understanding when we're using something to disempower and when we're using something to empower ourselves, when we're using something to move forward. I mean, even if you look at movie characters, they can be used to help us summon a certain energy, just like the song. You know, a sad song can help us grieve a, a breakup or something like that. We can also look at a character in a movie and be like, summoning up the warrior or the king before entering a meeting or, you know, somewhere that we maybe have some insecurities, thinking about... Um, Luke Skywalker, you know, and, and the brave warrior going against Darth Vader or something like that when we're going to go into a meeting, you know, that can be helpful. Or like even, you know, Monty Python, Holy Grail was one of my favorites. And that always put me in a good mood, like a goofy mood. Just thinking about some of the scenes from that even will summon up the energy of just lightheartedness for me. You know, we all have our different reasons, but we can use those characters to kind of summon up that energy when we need it. And, you know, I'm not feeling it, but I have to bring this part of myself forward right now. Otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm not going to convey professionally what I need to convey. That doesn't mean that we ignore it forever, but I have to get through this. Like in a combat situation, you can't have time for feelings. So when we condition our minds to say we can't have feelings, we carry that into the civilian world and it doesn't really work anymore. We have to have that time. We're off the battlefield. The landscape has changed so we can mentally let ourselves go to those places right now. But some of us don't feel like we can. In, in some ways, when I see if you hire a veteran, they're going to be the hardest working, best employees you've ever had. That's a disservice to the ones that are hurting. Because that's a standard that I couldn't live up to. And I just said, I can't live up to it. I'm not worth I'm not worth much. But I didn't realize that I just needed to put in the work to grow and heal the work of vulnerability and just allow myself to realize that I had a victim card. I needed to burn that joker. And to do that, to get vulnerable, you've got to find little ways to do it. You've got to find little small ways. You can't just shut off emotion for your whole life and then just go let it all out. You know, we think of Pandora's box and just like what's going to come out when I open this thing and pairing the mind and the body to do that is so vital. I can't even express how important I think that is. I understand that everyone has their own journey. This is my journey, but I really think a universal 
factor and an aid to this journey is physical activity. If you're physically healthy and capable of doing it, we have to, it's like the greatest resource at our disposal and we're just not using it. And for, for some people, their minds are very engaged in heady knowledge, scholarly, and they need to move their body just because they need to connect with that warrior energy. Otherwise, they're not balanced and healthy either. So this journey of, of mind writing our story is we have to understand what the author's brain is thinking. And it's our brain that's moving the hand. But why is it moving in the direction that it is? Why is it that I was an addict? Why? My brain was writing that story. My body, I thought, was just doing it because I was an addict, right? But no, it was my mind. It was my mind searching for connection. It was my mind trying to stop the pain. It was my mind saying, I need to sleep without nightmares, so I'm going to drink a lot, do a lot of cocaine, and that way when I pass out, I pass out and I don't remember anything. That was my mind telling me how to do it, and I didn't know it. We're usually hijacked by it because... When we look at the when we look at the hindbrain, you know, we have three parts of our brain. You have the reptilian, you have the mammalian, and then you have the the, the frontal cortex, the neocortex, which is the rational part. But we can be driven by these limbic systems in our in our midbrain that are very animalistic. The the mammalian that we're we're the same as as the mammals that have this um, amygdala and hippocampus that store these memories that are for survival only. Like you get cut off by a green car. Well, the reason you had such a strong response is because when you had this accident, it was a green car in your brain. Your amygdala stored that information, so it says green car cutting me off means near death experience. So this is happening right now, and we have to. That's where we can flip our lid because we're, we're in defense mode. We're, we're going to die. And so our brain is, is trying to survive us and it bypasses the frontal cortex, the rational part that says, okay, well this situation is nothing like that, but it's hijacking because it gets to the amygdala so much quicker than, than the frontal cortex. So we have to rework those loops, but we have to be aware that that's what's happening, that our emotional response isn't necessarily correct. Otherwise we will live imprisoned. We will live a disempowered life. We have to ask better questions of ourselves. And that starts with, why is this such a strong emotional response for me? Why do I care so deeply about this thing? Why does this thing have to be right? Why can't anything else possibly be correct other than what I already believe? Why am I so afraid to question this? And if you don't have an answer, that's a real good indicator that maybe you're not in the right and you've got to do some work and figure out why you have that position in the first place. And it's okay to question. It's okay to be confused. Confusion is a sign that you're ready to take in new information, not be manipulated. So many people think that they can't be open-minded because that's just opening up to some manipulator to come in and all of a sudden they're in a cult or something. Like, no, it's the way, it's the key, the door opening saying, come on in and figure some stuff out. There's a whole you inside of here that has been in prison for so long because you haven't understood how to use your mind appropriately, how to question those dogmatic things, you know, how to break free from the, from the belief system that you developed as a child before you could even question and make your own decisions. And there are people out there who can help you navigate those things. There's physical activity that can give you a chemical boost in your brain just to be more objective and to be open and not so hard on yourself because sometimes you'll find out that your belief system was wrong. So are you writing a story that is disempowering? Are you writing a story that you're the victim and everyone else is the antagonist? Are you writing a story that says you're hopeless, that there's nothing you can do to change your situation? Are you writing a story that says, I have nothing in my power that I can do to change my situation? Is that the story you're writing? And are you happy? I mean, really, are you happy? 
because we we crave certainty. We crave knowing the ending. We crave knowing what's going to happen. And that can be a, a positive reaction or it can be certainty and comfort in our misery because we know how to suffer this way. We know what this prison's like, but we don't know what it's like on the other side. So we're going to stay right here. And I'm going to defend this, you know, this, this land with my shotgun and, and ain't nobody going to come in here and have no trespassers. You know, I'm not letting anybody in because I know this, this is my land, even though it's horrible and it sucks, this is mine. And when are you going to get tired of that? Because that's just so heavy. That's so, so alone. It takes a lot of effort to maintain that. It takes a lot of effort to hate. And that's extreme. I understand that's an extreme example. But that's what we do to ourselves on very small levels that prevent us from actually living a fulfilled and happy life. We all do it. Some of us do it to varying degrees, but we all have the same solution. Why do I feel this way? Why do I really feel this way? How many facts do I have to back up this? I'm not safe driving on the streets because IEDs happen. Well, how many times have you driven on the street and your car not blown up? I had this friend talk to me about how they felt bad because they didn't spot this this uh, this this uh, explosion. I was going to call it a, a V-bid, but uh, a vehicle improved explosive device. They would park, you know, vehicles in Iraq, and they would just blow up the vehicle or 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 the road or whatever it was. And there was ways that maybe you could see uh, that this was a possibility. You know, a random car out in the middle of nowhere or something like that. You'd be like, "Hey, let's let's investigate this." But you know, he didn't see it or whatever, and and it blew up, and and things happen. But how many? I asked them, how many times have we driven by cars that didn't blow up? It happened a lot more than the one that did. So we 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 judge our lives based on the bad the impactful moments, the, the, the traumatic moments, and use that as the rule when they were truly, truly when they were the exception. And so whatever story you're writing today, be it good, be it bad, be it acceptable, wherever you are right now, if it's not where you want it to be, can we accept where we are just right now? Our reality is our reality. And if we want to make it a better one, we have to accept that it is real right now and there's nothing we can do to change the past, but we can integrate the information from there and write a different story going forward based on how we choose to empower or disempower ourselves in the future by being aware that strong emotional responses are an indicator that growth is trying to occur and there's an exiled voice from our past that wants to be heard and give us some information. We can learn how to process all of that and we can journal, we can do different things to, to work through those lies that we've told ourselves for so long and hear the truth that's beneath it. But we have to accept where we are. We can't, we have to accept that maybe, maybe we were victimized, but that doesn't define our future. And we have to accept that whatever has happened that has brought us to this point right now can no longer be the force that keeps us stuck there going forward. It takes work. And everyone's situation is different, but they all take work to move forward. And they all take acceptance to accept where they are, not to accept it so they can stay there. You, you can't accept it being in an abusive relationship. Okay, now I accept it. Now I'm going to stay here and I'm just an abused person. You have to accept that it's happening and that you have to push forward. That's any kind of, any kind of situation, no matter what it is, you have to accept where you are and not blame anyone else for it and see what it is that you can do to empower yourself in small ways, to grow to those big ways, to make a change. 
And that is a mental shift that has to happen. And physical activity does help with that, does help make that shift possible. But it has to be a shift that is how you write a different story. That's how you take charge of the pen with your own mind, not the unconscious part that's driving it. That's how you take control of the pen. That's how you tap the keys and say, my story is going to be different because I'm going to control the parts that I can control. I'm going to go into my mind and I'm going to ask those questions. I'm going to listen to those voices and figure out why they're there. And I'm going to open up to the right relationships. I'm going to take risks and vulnerabilities so that someone can help me understand why I'm writing the story that I'm writing. And that's a mental process. You can write a better story. It doesn't have to be a story of opulence, of grand success. But joy is the underlying factor in my story that I want it to be written. And through the trauma, through the bad, through the ups and downs, because the story that I'm writing is a long book and it's nowhere near finished. But there's going to be good chapters and sad ones. It's going to happen. But I want to have a smile on my face. I want to be empowered and not so emotionally all over the place. And when I am, I'm using that to empower myself by saying, why? Why do I feel this way? What message do you have for me? And that is a lifelong process, but that's the theme of the story. Why? Ask questions. Take control of that pen and write a different story. You are not the victim. You might be victimized, but you're not a victim. You are in control of your story, and it takes time. It takes acceptance. It takes vulnerability but the story can and will improve if you take control of the pen, if you tap different keys in relationship that help you understand how to write that story, how to empower your mind, and the awareness to understand what is empowering and what is disempowering about my decision in this moment, my mental decision in this moment, does it empower or continue to disempower me and my story? My story is not a tragedy, neither is yours. There are tragic moments perhaps in it, but it is not a tragedy. Victory does not mean opulence, grandeur, worldly success. A victorious story is a life lived of growth, contribution, happiness, servant leadership. It's smiling in the face of rejection and realizing that rejection isn't a definition of who you are. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living that life if that's your story as someone who could smile in the face of rejection? I want that. I want that big time. And I know that if we can get to that point, we all have capabilities of, of living a life that we want to live. It's just taking back the power to mentally be in charge of that story. And there are ways to do it. In this podcast, One, we're going to talk about different ways people are doing that. You know, everyone has their own way. My way is not the only way to do this. But we're going to find out how other people are doing it because I can always grow too. I can learn how to incorporate new things and new beliefs and new understandings of things. So, you know, this I want to hear from everybody like, well, what are you doing to write the best story possible? How are you changing your mind? How are you empowering? What are you reading? What are you ingesting mentally to allow you to have the freedom to change and grow? This is just the start, guys. We are just getting, this is just the groundwork, the foundation of what we're going to build together. Because this isn't all about me. I'm not the one that's right about everything. This is just my story. I'll share it with you. You take what works for you and you leave what doesn't and then come back and listen to my guests as they talk about what works for them and take from them what works for you and leave what doesn't. We're going to amalgamate of all the information and all the experiences that we go through in an entire life and decisions we make mentally of what to take and what to leave behind. Not just refuse the entire message because a few things didn't line up with our world belief. We have to grow. We have to let things in and take what works and leave what doesn't. So that's it for today. Until next time, journey well, my friends.
This podcast is presented by Project Echelon, the nonprofit that races for veterans and helps them heal through endurance sport and self-discovery. 